Hello guys, welcome back to Money and Mandem. Um, today we're going to be discussing books we've read and movies we've watched uh, related to business and finance. Hope you guys have some fun. Pachow, pachow. So? Cool. So, what have you guys been reading? Who wants to go first? Well, uh, me personally, I can say uh, I'm currently reading Liars Poker. I'm like halfway through it right now. Um, and I've read Shoe Dog. So Shoe Dog is the book about Nike. It's quite yeah. interesting. But, like, it kind of details the, the, how it came from, how the idea came about and the guy all the way back in the 19, I think it was 60s, it started. And just kind of follows his journey up until, um, was it the 80s, I think? Maybe the early, no, nah, yeah, it was the 80s. It was the 80s. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's quite an interesting read. I think he might be planning a part two though, because like, oh mad. Well, as in, because of the way it, because of the way it ended, it ended in like 1980. It didn't get to like Michael Jordan. It didn't get to any of that. Oh, fairs. So I'm thinking, is is he planning another book? Or... But it came out a while ago, so I don't know. I mean, from from the start, it's been a really good book, to be honest. Like, he's very descriptive and uses like. It's yeah, not like you're reading a Wikipedia page or anything. Yeah, like, it's like a lot of imagery. It's basically like a story. Yeah. Like, it's quite entertaining to read. But, um, yeah, that was a good one. And then Liar's Poker. I think Tani's read that as well, right? Yeah, I read Liar's Poker. I like it. It's a good book. Follows uh, the rise of securitization and also the rise and fall. Fall? of Salomon Brothers as well in the 1980s. So it was really interesting. And then it, it's actually, it's basically a autobiography almost because it, it's, it's factual and it follows an actual salesman at Salomon's Brothers and like his journey through that. So but and, like it's not, a good thing is though, it's not like, like David said, it's not really about the finance or from what I've read anyway, it seems to be a lot more about culture. Yeah, it's not it's not finance, yeah. It's just yeah. about culture. I would almost wouldn't even describe it as a finance book because it's yeah. just it's just more like history almost. He doesn't really go into necessarily technicals like that and stuff. You just it's just about the people that you work with, how Salomon Brothers, the culture at Salomon Brothers in New York or in London was different from the culture in Dallas. Or something like that because of i mean the how lucrative it is to work in different places and just talks about the types of characters he met and he met some really um important characters in what's it called the rise of cdos and clos and what was then interesting is that he also wrote the big short the book the same wait, wait tiny tiny pause what are cdos and clos yeah, you don't have to know <laughs> wait do you know you don't have to know. I don't know. I can't explain it for you very well. Well, just say the full meaning. <clears throat> collateralized debt obligations. That seems collateralized loan obligations. That seems like well explained, right? Does it? Is it just something you have to pay as a collateral for a loan or something? Does that make sense? Or am I capping? It appears that you're capping. 
No, but okay, let's say it, it just helps companies sell, um, raise money through loans. So it helps securitize. I don't know how to explain it. I, I don't know how to explain, I explain it. Jared, it do you in know? terms of like a mortgage, I think, because isn't that kind of a one way of thinking about it? Yeah, mortgage, car loans. As in, because like if you, if you have a mortgage, the house is the collateral, right? Yeah. Then I think. And then if you know you have regular, someone, if as a mortgage company, you're accepting regular payments from, um, what's it called? From the, from people paying the mortgages, then you can sort of say that, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say it. That's but the book does also talk about kind of the securitization of mortgages and how people were. Yeah, that's what we're trying to like talk about. And then they'll, because the, the idea was that if you have a thousand mortgages in one big product, like banks don't want to work with individual mortgage lenders. So yeah. they pack it all together into one product and then they sell it. So that way the bank is only dealing with the person who sold them the 1,000 mortgages. And you know, banks only work with like millions and whatever. So they don't want to have to deal with every small 100K mortgage or 200K mortgage. And then, um, yeah, so, and the probability is that, um, okay, if one or two go bad, but the rest will be fine. So it balances it out and it becomes like a normal bond or whatever. But yeah, he's kind of spoke about that. Um, but in a non-technical way, like it's a lot of it is just about there's a hierarchy and there's certain people and there's specific types of people and you meet all these characters because he he felt he was kind of like an outsider because I think he didn't do the MBA he didn't go to like that type of uni yeah kind of just waffled his way in a little bit and he knew someone or something. Yeah. He went to some dinner and he met someone yeah. and they told him to apply. And he basically had his interview there. He just got in. But 1980s and 1990s, you just, I just, I just dropped in. I just, I just entered <laughs> mistakenly. The times are different, man. The times are different. But yeah, he kind of discusses that and how, yeah, it's just so much ego. Like, <laughs> it's so, so much, man. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, I was, I was just agreeing. Like, it's a lot of people, like, they're just running on ego. And then, yeah, it's crazy. And they have, it's really, like, laddie. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was male, it is male-dominated, right? So the sort of games they play, the way they bet and, like, play poker or, like, those type of games, it's fueled literally by ego and I'm better than you because so-and-so. So, yeah. There's no way that would run in 2020, boy. Not yeah. a chance. What would it be about, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. working in a bank then, like, in the 1980s? Then? Money. It was a turn of the 90s, right? So, like, yeah. 90s, end of 1970s to 90s. Yeah, yeah. That's very, that's very interesting because I feel like every, like, country has had that period in time where there are only a few people that could get easy access to opportunities and wealth, uh, and hence wealth, right? Especially the US, like obviously the US, like if you're a white male in the 1960s, 70s, huh? Carry on. And like the UK as well, like the UK's elitist culture is insane. I think it's probably one of the worst, right? 
And even in Nige, like in Nige in the 1970s, 80s, if you were like a King's College man that might might mistakenly school in the UK, you'd become very rich going forward. Do you get what I mean? It's like, it's so weird because now there's a lot more effort put into obviously inclusion and making sure that everyone gets a share. But I don't know. I didn't have anything to say. I just, I just, I just, <laughs> a very interesting fact. I can't lie. I just, yeah, there's. Yeah, that's fair. Like before, it was really it was really easy for like people to like people to get in because they just had to be there. They didn't even have to like have credentials yeah. or like have qualifications. It was literally if you're there and just say, "Oh, can I try this out?" They dare have a good conversation, be a white man, or be like a dominant like person in your whatever country you are, and then you're in. It's so messed up. Yeah. And women have always suffered. That's the fucked up part because regardless of what race you are, whatever country you're in, if you're a man, there's a chance of you getting that opportunity. But if you're a woman, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's quite... I think she. they also mentioned that they were... On the internship or the program, the graduate program or the equivalent, there were a few women, but I don't think any of them made it to be traders or salespeople. I don't think... I remember and there are only a couple of them as well so yeah. it's like okay even if you're in a bank you're not gonna get the best jobs as well so that was funny and it's also like you won't feel comfortable in that type of environment with like yeah, yeah all of the all those men like they're all like sexist and the whole time they'll just be like discouraging your work or saying like are you sure you don't want me to check your all that like bro, yeah vulgar jokes just flying anyhow like bro you're definitely not trying to work in that kind of industry oh that was the culture that i remember like mad men like bad men just explain it best few seasons of mad men the misogyny bro imagine i just imagine some twitter warrior being alive in that time like <laughs> <laughs> oh my god bro ah it's actually so bad it was really bad like and if you watch it for too long it's not that you become like them but you expect you expect it to happen <laughs> in the show in the show i mean like you stop being surprised in the show when oh i see yeah. slides someone or he just tells a woman to just come and get me a coffee or just tells a woman um go like here's some money buy me a new suit it's like pardon but then you get used to it once you've watched the show for a while and i mean i think that's part of what the show is like trying to get you used to as well definitely well it wasn't like they were like oh women are terrible and women should never have any opportunities they never said that it was just the subtle things that was just always um pressing women down all the time like constantly I mean, signed gender roles basically from the start, and just said yeah. like, "Oh, men are meant to do this, and women are not capable or should not be doing this." So yeah, it's it's very messed up. It's very messed up. Is Mad Men a, a TV show? Yeah. Is it about like finance, or is it just? It's it's about the adver- advertising advertisement industry. Oh okay. In the seventies ish, in sixties and seventies uh, in America, yeah. It's very it's it's, all, it's it's basically like sales, right? So it's it's actually yeah. like sales. So it's very front 
office client facing business as well. So you, it's like IBD in a sense, or like investment banking that you have clients and you have to cater to them or whatever. And you have the big names like Coca-Cola, um, a few tobacco brands and stuff, and they touch on um, catering for them as well. So it was quite interesting. But yeah. What were we saying about Elias Booker? But yeah, the culture was very different back then. But it was, I just, I really liked it because like I was saying, it was like the author is Michael Lewis, I believe. And he's also the one that wrote The Big Short. And then we saw basically the rise of using those um, debt instruments and then how they affected the economy in 2008, 2009 as well. So we kind of saw the full circle. It was quite interesting. Yeah, I've not reached it yet. I'm only halfway, so we'll see. Okay. Why is it called Liar's Poker? Oh, basically, there was there was a game they used to play called Liar's Poker. Um, oh, fair. I can't remember exactly how the the rules. I can't remember the rules exactly, but um, yeah, there was there was this game, and I think it was to do with like he was saying they were betting a lot of money. And like for ego for bands, I can't complain. Like they'll just be like a million, million dollars. Liars poker right now, me v you, and they'll just go. And you're like the vibes. What do you mean vibes? Vibes. I mean, I would not partake because I don't put it. No, but you actually be socially pressured to just be like, okay, let me just play. Yeah, you can't be like no, because then everyone will be like, ah, he's 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 a wuss. Yeah. He's not cut out for that. But bro, one, I mean, to be honest, they always think like one mil is not that deep that they can easily make it, right? So it's like- but making mad money as well, bro. Yeah. yeah those bonuses don't exist anymore. Sorry? I said bonuses, bonuses like that don't exist anymore, man. Yeah, at all, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. That's one thing I liked about the 80s, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to take my money. it's just weird because it's like the way the way they were profiting is from they were basically profiting off other people's downfall because when like mortgages and stuff collapsed there was there was something that happened so it would essentially be like imagine you're you're a mortgage trader right so you're you're like a small guy kind of dish but you're the mortgage trader for like a county or a a state or whatever, they'll just be, they'll be trying to, like from the way, from in their head, from the way they approach you, you're already inferior. Like that's the way they see you. And then they'll, they'll basically just try and manipulate you and just say words at you that you don't understand. They're like, yeah, this guy's stupid. He doesn't know what we're talking about. And then they'll send him some trash product. And then um, like say the market does a, a flip or something. And he's like, what happened? And then they'll offer him some terrible price because they know that they're the only ones who are like selling it or buying it off him and he can't sell it anywhere else. So then it's like, they're, they're literally just kind of exploiting people as well. And they're just like, oh, his way is, he's stupid. He should have worked here at Salomon Brothers, but he doesn't because he's not capable, he's not cut out. And that's basically their philosophy. It was just, it was just like, right, like, these men do not care about people at all in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, you know, um, that it was funny because when I was starting my internship, that's that's the book they told me to read before 
So I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know if they're trying to like prepare me, prime me, or like, <laughs> just the position of the culture. So I always have a good impression. Sorry? They're preparing you for your coach. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they wanted to. Five times. It gets excited every time he reads it. Just say that again. No, I was just saying, I was saying Tani's coach probably read the book five times and gets excited every time he reads it. It's like the 80s. Oh. <laughs> trying to get back to the 80s well, maybe, yeah, maybe they were just maybe they were just setting the bar low so that when Tani arrives <laughs> yeah, that's good. Set the bar low. Was bro, yeah it was just extortion central and Salomon Brothers were also the biggest mortgage traders the biggest mortgage bank business so yeah. then no one could even um, offer any sort of competitive price in that space at all and because of the rise of um, mortgage-backed securities in that time, that was the most lucrative business as well. So all these equities, all these other things, no more, um, let's say, treasuries and that, they weren't as um, lucrative to trade or whatever, or to deal with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Like, it was a good book. I don't want to say the whole, like, the whole thing, because, like, they're still reading it, but... Yeah. I think another book similar to that would be When Genius Failed. Because that's about um, like employees from Salman Brothers who basically left after a couple years there to form like their own. Is it arbitrage? Arbitrage. Arbitrage group, you know. Yeah, but those guys were crazy because they were basically making an like every forty percent return for a four-year period, and they were basically all doing this through maths. Like none of them were like their stereotypical. Like they didn't do MBAs or like the person that was leading this group, he literally went to Harvard and was, was looking for mathematicians. Like, um, I think if anyone knows like the Black Skulls model, is that what's called the Black Skulls model? Options. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were the guys at um, um, long-term capital management, which was the hedge fund. So yeah, that book is also, if you like Liar's Poker, you will also probably like this book as well. And it, it literally leads on from, yeah. from the end of Liar's Poker, probably like two or three years, and then it literally goes to that period of LTCM. So yeah. David, what is arbitrage? You, I know you're, <laughs> Tani, what is arbitrage? <laughs> Let me just say, there's going to be some technicals that you don't understand, because sometimes in the book, I was like, I'll go and ask Tani what to explain some things because Loki, I wasn't understanding it. It's basically just like the way I understand it is like currency pairs. So if you have, hmm. then you have three currencies, yeah, yeah, yeah. dollar, euro, sterling. Guys, if you if you go from dollar to euro, then to sterling, it should be the same as going from dollar to sterling, right? Yeah. Yes, you, you get you get that, David. Yes, yes. Are you sure? Josh, do you get it? Uh, I get it. Go on. Yeah, and then, so basically, it's just when it's not the same. Yeah, I thought they were focusing on spreads. What'd you say, Josh? What What are the reasons for that? For them to not be the same? Like it's just because because obviously now we have computers, so it just does it instantly. Ah, uh, see, okay. But back then it would have been, you had to do it mentally or whatever. So then it's longer. So you can, if, you got, if you're quick enough, you could capitalize. 
Oh, that's so, uh, that makes sense. What happens today, but it's computers that do it. So computers are, yeah, like, computers like, are automatically looking for arbitrage opportunities. So yeah, but you need arbitrage them. Just in general, just like when something is mispriced, like yeah. you have two products, like let's say you can buy a tangerine in Iceland for two pounds and you can buy a tangerine in Tesco for one pound 50. Then you'd buy the one in Tesco for one pound 50 and then sell it to someone in Iceland, in the Iceland shop for two pounds. And then you just made 50p off holding the same asset. So then that's basically just arbitrage when the same product is um, priced differently. And then you just try and squeeze out like the discrepancy in price. So you yeah. can do it. You can say arbitrage is also like, let's say you have um, um, Apple. Apple is floating, let's say, on in New York, and it's also floating in London. And let's say for some random reason, they're differently priced. Then you could like work away with your broker to like, sell it, buy and sell it. So then you make a profit because it's the same asset, the same stock or whatever, the same share, but it has a different price. Yeah. So then that's what they were working with. I don't know exactly because I haven't read the book. I don't know what the product was, but if you said black schools, then that's probably they, options. They so, kept also focusing on like um, spreads converging. Like that's how they made money. So like the whole principle was that over time, yeah, markets so will become more efficient. So um, the spreads would converge basically. Because yeah. the black schools model, um, the black schools model is a model that is used for pricing options, right? And it uses variables. It uses a lot of variables. I don't want to even go into it. But basically, <laughs> it also assumes that there's no arbitrage. So then things are correctly priced. But then from what um, we've already discussed, right? If you have, ah, oh, it's going to be too long to explain. It's going oh, to be too long to explain. But then the spreads is basically that, you know what I said about tangerines and so then you have two tangerines, one is two pounds, one is one pound 50, right? So then you would buy the one that's one pound 50 and then the one that's two pounds, you would short it. So you would like sell it, but then the prices will converge to the actual price. So then you'd make money two times because the one pound 50 will go up to 175 and the two pounds will go down to 275. Ah. If you show the one that's two pounds, you make money off that. And if you've longed the one that's one pound fifty, you make money off that. As well. Well, that's too smart. Yeah, it's actually quite but but as they fit, <laughs> you can it can quickly go badly though, because that's what happened to them. Because something <laughs> like because like they had like a, a crisis in Russia basically did something with um the rates and like instead of converging, like the spreads kept getting wider and wider. So they had to like, they're just making more and more losses that they couldn't sustain. So then they just crashed. Yeah. So imagine now the one pound 50 that you bought goes down to like 50p and the, the two pounds that you shorted went up to like four pounds. So you've just lost money both ways. And the thing about hedge funds is that they're highly leveraged. So then they're not working necessarily with money they have. So they can't even sustain losses for that long. So then yeah. they went out of business as well. So yeah, that was that's the problem. They, they didn't really have a good risk department, I'm guessing. They did not. They did not. It's funny because like all the big, because they had like a meeting at the start and no, at, at the end of the book. And it was basically all the big banks and like the Fed um, director 
all in their room and they were basically trying to decide how to save this company because because they were because all the uh, how do i say this um because if they didn't save ltcm then it wouldn't peak for all of them like the markets would have just completely failed and as everybody trying to just it was just the big boys this was before goldman became public because they even had to um call off their ipo because of what happened with ltcm like it's just crazy seeing all those big guys in one room yeah yeah you guys should read about arbitrage actually it's actually so interesting as like an opportunity like if you could just focus our hedge fund and just arbitrage opportunities like, I don't know, is there still like a lot of opportunity for it now? Because like we were saying, with the whole computing and high frequency traders and stuff. Yeah, so it'll probably be high frequency traders or like algo traders that work. And it's not like, yeah, it's, it'll probably be those guys trying to do it, but it's just still interesting. Like if that's your philosophy, right? Just as a philosophy to just try and look from value because of discrepancies in price, it's quite interesting. I don't know. Have you read The Big Show? I haven't read it, no. Has anyone read it? I haven't read it. Nah. One of the, one of the LTCM uh, founders is a professor at MIT Business School. That's very sick. Imagine That's the old mathematicians. Yeah, he literally went to Harvard, MIT, and like Chicago. Like he was just looking for smart guys. He said, you don't need to understand finance. You just need to be smart and like be doing research in this thing. Like he went to one professor and was asking for like his PhD students or master's students that he thought would be very good in the industry. Like that's how he made his group basically. Yeah, like, that's how he- you know, the Black Shows model that we've just mentioned, it's basically derived from like a physics model that is used, like that's used for Brownian motion. Do you guys remember Brownian motion? So how everything moves randomly or whatever. That's where the Black Scholes model is from. So it's not even, like it's not a finance thing. It comes from physics. So it's actually quite interesting. It's wavy, can't lie. Yeah. So nobody's read the big show. No, sir. No, sir. I'm guessing we all watched the movie though. Yeah. We watched the movie a couple of times. The first time, bro, I did not understand. Like when I watched it, I watched it like a couple months ago again. And I was like, I don't even know what I, I was thinking the last time I watched yeah. it. <laughs> like, Because I watched it when I was like A-levels. So yeah, like I 17, 18, that time. And I was like, all the, all the like products, all the, everything they were just mentioning was just going over my head. I was just there for vibes. And now I was like, oh, Cause like you still watched it and you still you still probably liked it even though yeah. like, it was going on. But yeah, now it's actually it makes more sense for sure. But yeah, I don't know. It just follows like if for those of you that haven't um read it or watched it, it just follows um how the um financial crisis of two thousand eight two thousand and nine kind of happened. Like what was the main, what were the key drivers of that? So it was a lot to do with the housing crisis in the US. So because of these mortgage um, backed securities that we've touched on, the loans that were getting offered were very risky, but they were being classed as the highest grade of loans. 
So then when they started failing, everyone was then confused. So yeah. It was a shambles, man. And it, it was, was actually just, everything, everything was built on top of everything. So it's like once the bottom just went. They just kept flat. just collapsed. Yeah, it was stacking. It was actually so bad. Just no more. Because nobody, nobody was thinking about this is what I'm saying. Like nobody was thinking about the effects on the the other people and like the general society. Because they would just be flogging these mortgages. Like someone, someone like me, I could just walk in with no job, get like three mortgages on three different properties, and they'll just give it to you. And then next thing you know, when you don't meet the payments, they're like, what what happened? Why didn't you meet the payments? And I'm like, I was never qualified to. And then you get, because I think even the ratings agencies, they were um, they're basically pressure. They were like working with the banks. So they yeah. were kind of, it was basically corrupt. So they were just getting paid to rate anything A or A plus or whatever, AAA. So yeah. then it's like, if everyone's just, just working for themselves and no one's actually doing the job properly. When the financial crisis happens, it hurts a lot more than, it hurts the people, like the general public more than it hurts those people who were profiting off of this sale. Yeah. And it's just a mess. Then the you just get another job, like. Yeah, like I'm sure there are people who worked at Lehman Brothers who are fine now. Like they I mean, they got bought by is it Nomura and also by Barclays, so like they were fine, <laughs> literally. That's what I mean, and it's like because of the whole too big to fail premise, it's just it's just a mess. It's a mess, mate. It's just funny because like in the movie you see like all these nice houses and this it just be someone like oh I don't have a job but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets a house. Do you want a house? You can get a house. <laughs> oh my days it's actually very bad but then like it follows different people so uh, different sets of people I think it was like three it followed three main players right like those young guys then Steve Carell then Batman yeah Batman. <laughs> that guy's Batman for life I don't know what I don't care what else he does he can be the president of the United States then that just means Batman is the president of the United States how much how much did he make for his thing for his um what do you call it again his partners i guess because they were basically like saying give me back my money right now you're so crazy give me back my money and then at the end you know when you sent the email like oh yeah. i just made you like four is it was it like 400 mil or something yeah something oh, was billions oh man he was just like yeah have it <laughs> i was just like that's crazy because everyone was, was doubting like, him Everyone was dying. <laughs> I mean, like you would, wouldn't you? Because he, I know, was, he, was, he was right. But he was right. Yeah, I mean, because he did. He did the research. You know, isn't that how he found out? Because he was the one who was actually doing the re- like his team. They were like, yeah. the thing is, because they were looking at the individual mortgages, right? Yeah, but the thing is, he also bought CDSs, right? So, like with CDSs, there's also a monthly. And, and a periodic yeah, that's problem. That's so then problem. He, he, had, he was paying that out of his um clients' back pockets as well. And he, he started like I think two years before the actual um what's it crash happened. So yeah. it was painful. It was like he wasn't making money as well. So it wasn't because like, so, of the margin payments. Yeah, yeah, margin payments, that's what they're called. CDSs. CDSs are basically products that the value goes up when 
the probability of the company defaulting or going out of business goes up. So it's just uh, basically a shorting instrument. Credit default swap. Yeah, that's the name of the abbreviation. But yeah. <laughs> Finance. <laughs> it's basically just betting that your company is gonna gonna fail, basically. Yeah. So like if you have a bond and then you buy a CDS, you're basically saying they're not gonna make the payment. So I want my money. Yeah. So like you know how Bill Ackman, for those of you who don't know how like Bill Ackman made money off plus when the monkers crashed this year, right? So he made like, is it 2.6 billion or something? Bro, it was mad. That was, off, that was off CDSs. So he bought CDSs on a different, I think he bought some on airlines and whatever. So that's how he made. Bank. After he went to say like, oh, but don't worry, the markets are going to pick up. I'm confident in that. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are corrupt, but I love it still. This guy's one of CNBC. <laughs> oh, I read it, but yeah. Oh, my days. Yeah. Was the big short kind of like the first movie of its kind in a sense? Like I don't know many movies of that ilk in terms of financial movies or or um there's margin call, right? Margin call is really good. I think that's the one I've watched. Well yeah. Yeah. I I I liked the acting more than the content, sure. Yeah. Scene where like the CEO comes into the room and then he just tells everyone to sit down and then just ask them like key questions. Like he doesn't allow them to speak more than two sentences and he just makes it decision quickly. I'm just like ah, but yeah. I think that movie was trying to was it was it trying to represent the fall of Lehman Brothers or just like a, a fictional company? It was a company that basically had to sell off all of their, I don't know what the terms are, I'm just going to say some random words, you guys can correct me if I'm worried. <laughs> but like, they were trying to sell off all of their, like, shares of the bad, like, mortgage stuff. Yeah. Right? Um, but they, because they, someone in their firm found out about the whole thing about to crash um, the next day. So, yeah, put it up that night, or well, in the morning, so at 9am, before every, the news came out at like 10am. And they sold it off at like reduced prices. So everyone was surprised why they were selling it off. But they were just basically, and they lost credibility after that, right? Because everyone, everyone was like, they're dickheads. Um, yeah, because they basically killed the market. Like they were doing, they knew what they were doing. They were like, it's either we fail or the whole market fails. And they just got rid of everything so they could like keep their own, basically. Yeah. Oh, it's Kevin Spacey. Hello. Thanks. Kevin Spacey was, uh, I think it was, I don't know what role he had. He might have just been like an MD, like a senior guy. Yeah. But he was in charge of the analyst that found out about the main guy on the poster. And he, had, he had a big role in the, in the movie, but in the firm, he was just, I think, like one of the directors or MDs. Yeah. Yes. Fair. Yeah, that was a good movie. But there are not a lot of finance. Like movies like The Big Shorts or Margin Call, they're not a lot of movies like that. I applied to work in trading because after I watched The Wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> this is the industry for me. This is where I can excel. <laughs> where I can achieve my maximum potential, you know, in all aspects. So yeah, I think that was also a good movie, a good financial solid <laughs> movie. It's based on a true story though, which is yeah. Which is, 
The guy goes around. He goes around having interviews. The, the wolf, wolf of Wall Street guy. The wolf. If you search YouTube for the Wolf of Wall Street guy, you just see him everywhere. Like he has several interviews. But again, I think that that's kind of like that movie was also about kind of like the culture, and yeah, it was most about the culture. Yeah, that culture, shit, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> bruh, like, bruh. That's a moving mad. Yeah, mad. They were they were doing all right though. In terms of cash, they were doing all right. Money is but not they everything. Were, they were like guys. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yikes. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. We'll see what what's what are you trying to say so no. we're just clear. I just I just want to be clear what you're saying. I'm just trying to touch on the fact that these all these financial movies, most business movies, we've just seen people get extorted or people just get finessed. I mean, we have you talked about we haven't talked about the social network, right? We just saw Mark Zuckerberg just finesse his partners, finesse the living data out of them for like nothing personal it wasn't like what is interesting is that we have like three minutes left but what is interesting is that i went for one of these recruitment events right and then this partner in the london office for bcg was talking about how bcg recruited the second guy eduardo something in facebook and that was the guy that mark zuckerberg cheated and he was portrayed badly in the movie as well because there was a reason for Mark Zuckerberg cheating him, right? It's just weird that this guy is actually just alive. <laughs> like, just living his life, knowing, knowing fully well that he could have been a billionaire. But he like, is a billionaire now, I swear. I think he is, yeah, he is. Yeah. But, like, but like times 40. It's not like I hate you. Or something. It's not like they had like serious beef. It was just, bro, it's business, man. You do what you do. You dilute the shares. Keep it moving. Nah, all, all like tech CEOs, like for those big companies, they're all crazy. They're all crazy. That's something we wanted to bring up. I was like, then it was like IBD, right? So like the whole fast moving money, like cocaine, yeah. etc. Nah. Now it's like. <laughs> <laughs> It's like fintech AI companies that just get IPO or even get funding like 200 million out of nowhere for no reason. And then that's what that's what happened, and then you get a dot com bubble burst. Yeah, that's true. Yo. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money and Mandem, and we hope you tune into our next one. Bye.